Welcome to the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Due to the rate of unnecessary C-sections, the lack of support, and limited options for VBAC moms in the hospital, more and more women are choosing to have their VBAC babies at home. This podcast was created for women to share and listen to stories of home birth after cesarean. I'm your host, Rachel Garrett. Today we're continuing our conversation with Susan, so if you haven't listened to her last four birth stories, go to the episode right before this, episode number 22, and listen to part one of Susan's birth stories. Today she's going to tell us about her next five birth stories, and we are going to start with baby number five. Number number five, Lars. I have a picture of me standing in my garden, really huge with him. I did a a lot of digging, I think, in that in when I was pregnant with him. And did you just know off the bat that you were going to do home birth again? Oh, I had uh, my attitude was uh, wild horses couldn't drag me back to a hospital. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the the certified nurse midwife still wouldn't do it. I was still outside their protocol, and I was still too far away from Doctor Brew. They really are in trouble. If you want, if you've had a, 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 a C-section and you want to have a home birth, but you want to do everything by the book and have a certified provider, you know, if you want a, a medical type person, the nurse midwives mostly won't do it. Even if they would want to, they're, um, they're sometimes what, what the law is in their, in their state um, prohibits them from doing it. So that was the case with all the midwives that I talked to. So somebody referred to me, referred me to, I can't remember why my friend couldn't come again. I think she had moved. Um, So somebody referred to me to um, a woman who had trained with the Santa Cruz midwives. And there was a book about them too, Raven Lang's birth book. On the cover, it has a picture of a woman giving birth on her hands and knees. Very explicit and the whole scene, super hippie. But um, so there was a, like a sort of cooperative of women in, in Santa Cruz in the 70s who got kind of hip doctors to teach them how to deliver babies. Or, and, and some of them had just, you know, gone to a friend's unassisted birth and, and, and learned. But anyway, so they, had a, they had a, actually had a, a birth clinic there and a lot of midwives who, who helped women give birth. And it was sort of completely outside the medical system. Um, so she had trained with them. And one thing they were, I mean, I'm not saying they didn't get good training, but they, they, they still had the attitude uh, that birth is in a bed or on the floor. And they had the big thing about avoiding episiotomies, which everybody had thought women just had to have. Um, so they did this perineal massage. So she kept me, she wanted me in bed so she could do that. And um, I find that the contractions just hurt so much more when you're in bed than if you're up and walking. So um, I remember that, that labor as, as quite painful. I bit my husband's arm. He, you know, he was sort of sitting next to me on the, on the bed and his arm was reached in front of me and I bit his arm just out of, um, I wasn't mad at him or anything like, oh, you got me pregnant. But, but I just... It was more like just the need to dig into something with my teeth. But other than that, that birth 
went normally. She hung around a long time waiting for, for Dr. Muncy, but he, he couldn't come. He was delivering a baby in the hospital. So he came the next morning. So then, then Meg's birth, the next one, um, we're up to number six, what was um, a very weird one. Now, in retrospect, I think I got pregnant, had a very early miscarriage, thought I was still pregnant uh, and that I had just spotted. And so didn't try to prevent another pregnancy and got pregnant the next month. And back then there were no, no ultrasounds. I mean, that you could do one, but they only did it if they found a problem. If, the, if, if by measuring with the hands, the baby was small for dates or anything else that would make them think something was wrong. Otherwise, the, the women didn't get ultrasounds. In the doctor found the baby to be reasonable size with his hands and I didn't have any ultrasounds so I was approaching two weeks overdue and all the other ones uh, where labor started I had been about a week a week posted after the due date I'd never gone two weeks so then the, the poor Dr. Monsey said you know now we only let you um go two weeks before we induce but they their policy is they won't induce someone who's had a c-section so you'll have to they, they're going to want you to come in and have another c-section and i was i thought i don't want to get dr muncie in trouble but i'm not having another c-section <laughs> so and i had been of course reading birth books all along and stuff about her herbs for birthing and stuff so um I had my husband go and buy me some cohosh, and this cohosh came in the form of roots, dried up roots that you made, little bits of dried up roots that you made a tea out of. And I, re I started drinking it, I remember, on mm -hmm. Holy Thursday, mm -hmm. and then went to Mass for Holy Thursday, and I started having contractions mm -hmm. at Mass. By the time I came home, they were, they were kind of petering out and I drank more cohosh and I had contractions and that just went on and on and on. I didn't get to go to mass for Good Friday or Easter that year. So I, I just kept drinking that cohosh every time my contractions petered out and they'd start up again. I got very tired. I remember one time I, I was standing up in the bathroom and we had those old fashioned radiators and I would put my spine right between two. Uh, to um, like bars of the radiator and, and, and press, you know, just uh, press my spine against it. And it felt really good. But doing that one time, I fell asleep and fell down on the floor. That's how tired I was. So finally, I'm sitting, I remember I'm sitting on the edge of the foot of my bed and the contractions have, have slowed down again. Chris is away going to the bathroom. I think I remember I'm just really discouraged. And I think if another day dawns on this labor, I'm going to have to go to the hospital. And I got up and it was, I think it was about three, four o'clock in the morning. So I got up and walked around the, the bed to where the cohosh was on my dresser. And I feel a baby sliding down. <laughs> so I, I, Squat, I put, grabbed a blanket off the bed and crammed it under me and, and caught the baby myself. I squatted down and caught her. <laughs> oh, wow. So just I right had, then and there is when she was right born. Right then and there, I had no idea that um, 
that I had been fully dilated or, or that the baby was about to be born. I did no pushing. <laughs> um, I had no sense of a normal progression of labor. Had your contractions ever gotten like very timeable or close together or anything like that? They were close together. They were hard enough to hurt, but not, they weren't really super hard. None of them ever felt like transition contractions to me. Wow. I just, I just must have done a little dilating. And I mean, it was, it was from Thursday afternoon until Sunday morning. Yeah, that's a long time to be having contractions, even if they are not necessarily what you would think of as labor contractions or transitional contractions. They weren't, they certainly weren't, weren't the kind of, the kind of, they certainly weren't transitional contractions. I mean, I could say that right after I took the cohosh and, and digested it, I'd have sort of medium hard labor for a, a while and then it would peter off. So... So, yeah, how did you react to that? What was your first thought? Well, I was thinking the cohosh was working. I can't imagine. I mean, no, that's a very rare way for a labor to progress. And it did respond every time to the cohosh. So I think cohosh does have that effect. So I, my response was relief that she was, that she was born. And I didn't have to uh, get into like refusing to have a C-section. So she was born exactly at the time when tomorrow they, they would have wanted me to go to the hospital and have a C-section. She was only nine pounds, which is small, the smallest baby I'd had yet, which is, I know, not a small baby, but for me, it was a small baby. And she didn't look in the least overdue. She had more vernix than any baby I had. She had that languo, the, the, the fine hair. None of, of my other babies had that. She looked early, not late. And I, I really think that I was a month off on my dates and that I induced her two weeks early. And I feel guilty about that because I think babies should have all their weeks in the womb. But if I hadn't, she would have, the doctors would have done it anyway. So. So was oh, anyone else around when you had her or were you completely by yourself? I was by myself. My husband was in the bathroom and I didn't make any noise. He, he was really surprised when he came back in the room. <laughs> I'm sure he walked in and then there was a baby. <laughs> yeah, I was sitting on the edge of the bed with the, nursing the baby. <laughs> That's with incredible. The, then, with the, of course, with the umbilical cord still attached. So after, after it stopped pumping, we tied and, and cut it. Um, and then it took, I sat in a rocker and nursed her. It took quite a while for the placenta to decide to come out, but it finally did. There was one thing, if I can back up a bit, one thing really odd about Lars's birth, the num, um, number five. We were waiting, after he was born, we were waiting for the umbilical cord to stop pumping. And it didn't. It just pumped and pumped and pumped and pumped and pumped for 45 minutes. So I called Dr. Muncy and said, what do I do? And he said, just, just tie it nice and tight and, and, and cut it. And the back pressure from that will make that flap in the heart, you know, close, close the hole in the heart. So, um, so we did and it was fine, but that was something I didn't know could happen. I, I don't, and, and, and also that then the placenta separated, it didn't separate before that. He also said the, that that would make the placenta separate and it did. So anyway, back to Meg. When I told Dr. Muncy how the labor went, he completely discounted the cohosh. His idea was she just had a long drawn out labor 
And he later told me, he didn't say at the time, but he later told me he thought that my uterus was worn out from having so many babies. And that's why I had that kind of labor. He, and I, when I asked him about the maturity of the baby, and he, all he would say was, she's certainly not late. <laughs> I, I, I'm convinced she was, she, was, she was early rather than late. But just, you know, babies born two weeks earlier are still okay. So then we're, we're at baby number seven. Um, all of these babies are between 17 and 22 months apart, except, be except between Joan and between the third and the fourth, because I'd been nursing the, two, the first and second together. So that held off my fertility for longer. That was 26 months, I think. But the rest pretty much pretty much nursing gives me 17 to 22 months apart. So we're on number n number uh, seven. And by this point, we we after um, having the baby without anybody there, we every we didn't think again about trying to get somebody to be there. We felt like we could do birth on our own. I, I was the kind of person who, if it were possible, I would have gotten a certified nurse midwife, but, but I, I, um, it wasn't possible. And as I said, there were no associations of midwives. If you got somebody unofficial, it was all through, you found out through networks. And I was home with babies all the time. I really didn't have any more, any networks. <laughs> <laughs> So John's, the labor for, for John was pretty typical until transition, and it, it just went on and on and on, and it felt exactly the way it felt way back with the third birth, when um, the, the student doctor had come and said that I was dragging a, a bit of cervix down, and, and she put her hand in and, and pushed the cervix out of the way. So it felt exactly like that. So, so, um, so I thought, but there was nobody there who could do that. And I, I also had heard that if you pushed and it hurt, that that meant the cervix wasn't out of the way and that it could swell up and, and uh, you know, actually stop the birth or slow it down, make it much, much harder. So I was afraid to push. So it went on for like an hour like that. And um, I was putting one leg up on the side of the bed and the other leg up on the side of the bed. And I tried walking up and down the stairs. And then finally I said, I'm just gonna push. And I did, I pushed when it hurt and I pushed right through that. And then it, the baby was ready to be born. Now his birth wasn't so hard for me but I think it was hard on him. The cord was around his neck many times and I couldn't, my husband couldn't unwind it when Justice Head was out. We had declined that tool to cut, cut the cord because I was afraid if, that I would get a shoulder stuck and then I'd have a baby getting no oxygen who couldn't come out. So um, I just pushed him out and it pulled the cord pretty tight. Um, and when he came out, he was real, real blue and purple. Every other baby I had, just came out and was crying right away. So at this point, all my kids are, are I'm sitting on the edge of the bed. My husband's kneeling in, in front of me with, with the baby and all of the kids are sitting around in a circle behind him. And um, 
they're all going, it's a boy, it's a boy. And I said, I remember saying, but this baby's in trouble. And I had to hand him back to, to my husband so he could unwrap him. And then I remember I turned him over on my knees and I had heard that putting your knees up and down could help, you know, help their lungs expand, like it would push air out. And so anyway, I was doing that and patting him and saying, come on, baby, and all the things that you do, rubbing his back. And finally he cried. And we had um, pictures taken with a, a disc camera. My oldest son was taking them. So I showed, I showed them to, to the doctor because I was really concerned that it you know, had been a problem. And he said, no, lots of babies born in the hospital, forceps babies, you know, lots of babies take that long to pink up and don't worry about it. But he had little hemorrhage in his, in his eyes from having that cord pulled tight when I pushed him out. And once he started crying, he howled and he howled and he could not be consoled and he wouldn't, he wouldn't nurse. Um, he wouldn't settle. Finally, we um, laid him on the bed and laid a receiving blanket over him. So there was no light to his eyes. And he finally calmed down. I remember Emily, number four, picked up the blanket and looked at him and was the first one to make eye contact. So then I picked him up and started nursing him and he nursed and he nursed and he nursed and he nursed and he literally nursed for 13 straight hours. Oh, wow. Um, and I figured, you know, I think maybe his blood sugar is falling because he was definitely a huge baby. He looked bigger than Carl had looked. In fact, we, when I stepped on the scale with him and without him, he was just a hair under 13 pounds. So I figured he might be getting that low blood sugar thing. And I had gotten, had some formula put away somewhere just in case that happened. But I had a friend who was nursing um, come to visit me. And I said, you know, I think his blood sugar is, is low. And um, I'd rather have, have breast milk than formula. Would you nurse him? So she nursed him on both sides. And uh, he fell asleep and I fell asleep. And uh, when I woke up, my milk was already in. So so he was fine after that. He didn't get the polycythemia, but he's a, he was very he was a very difficult baby. After about eight at eight months, he started rocking and banging his head on, on the bed, and the only thing that would comfort him is nursing incessantly. And I was pregnant with the next one, and, and starting to get sore nipples. And you know, I'd nurse him for an hour and then put him down, and he'd be down he'd be sitting up banging his head against the bed so he, he had a lot of some of the autistic things that babies and I had read about autism and I wondered but he spoke early it's just that it's just more the, the thing of any change any change drove him nuts and um he had a problem with textures once he got upset he would be upset endlessly. He actually invented negative numbers for himself at just and when he was just four, and he still wasn't toilet trained. <laughs> but he invented negative numbers for himself because <laughs> he because he would sit in a corner writing numbers for hours, which is very autisticy. I and I felt guilty, of course. Why is my child banging his head, banging mm -hmm. his head so hard that he? banged ahead in the sheetrock, you know? And I was afraid that it was because he had that hard birth, but you can't prove anything like that. 
and my sister my sister had a, a child who had some autism too so it may be that it's genetic and it's in our genetics yeah so. there's so many different factors that could play into that it's definitely not like one single thing that happened it's just the kind of guilt that people have if you i i was so upset by those hemorrhages in his eyes and the, again the doctor was like they'll go away they're no big deal <laughs> so then um the next birth the next birth was very easy and the baby was only eight and a half pounds. <laughs> my and that was your said, smallest so far then, right? Yes, yes. And my my husband said, you must be wearing out. This baby is so tiny. <laughs> <laughs> and was and, that uh, one just just you and your husband and the kids as well? I, he, just me and my husband. He was born in the middle of the night and we didn't wake anybody up. Oh, okay. Um, and there wasn't, I woke my husband up. Oh, there is a story about that birth. My husband has said to me, whatever you do, don't go into labor on Saturday evening. Cause he was going to be working 13 hours that day in the restaurant kitchen, you know, moving the whole time. So Saturday was like four days after my due date. And I, I was taking a bath and I was thinking I had just read about creative visualization um, and how people could use it in birth. But I didn't really believe in it. I still sort of thought it was like what they would call woo, you know. Mm -hmm. I didn't believe in it. So I'm lying in the bathtub relaxed and I'm having a few Braxton Hicks contractions and I'm imagining my cervix opening up. And by the time I got out of the tub, I was in labor. <laughs> I think I managed to put myself into labor. Mm -hmm. That visualization really worked. Yes. So my husband came home and I, I said, I'm labor. And he's like, I told you not to do that on Saturday and I, I have to sleep. And he just walked into the bedroom and fell asleep. And the kids were all asleep. I just walked up and down in the hall by myself laboring. And um, I, I there was like there were two people in my head. And one person was saying, why do I have to suffer like this? And the other one was saying, don't be ridiculous, Susan. This is a very easy labor. <laughs> <laughs> so then I realized that it was getting to be time for the baby to be born. And I went and woke my husband up and I said, you got to get up. This baby's going to be born. Why don't you go downstairs and make us some tea? So he went downstairs and put the kettle on, came back up, got in bed and went back to sleep. So the kettle was boiling away down there. And I'm having contractions like one on top of each other. But I walk down the stairs and make the tea and carry it upstairs and put it on my dresser. And then I go over to my husband and said, if you want to catch this baby, you have to get out of bed. And I walked around and sat on the, my side of the bed and he stumbled around and stuck up out his hand and caught the baby. And I drank the tea between the baby and the placenta and it was still hot. So... <laughs> Do you remember how long that was from the time you were in the tub until baby was born then? I think, well, it was about midnight or 1130 when I was in the 1130 or midnight when I was in the tub. And um, he was born about four o'clock in the morning. So not a long, especially long labor, but not a real precipitate one either. So after that, he was a pretty easy baby. He turned out to be a very very difficult teenager but he he was <laughs> a, 
he was such an easy baby. And the next oldest one was such a difficult baby that I feel all the attention was drained away from him. Everything was always about John and, and his his um, tantrums. So, um, yeah, and then our house burned down when uh, that baby was three months old. It was caused by the dryer. So I, I had given John oatmeal in his high chair and gone up to and moved the laundry from the washer to the dryer, you know, and turned on the dryer. I had the baby on my back and I heard, I heard the um, oatmeal start to plop against the wall down there. John was throwing oatmeal against the wall. So I went back downstairs and I said, I guess you don't want this oatmeal. Let's feed it to the dog who was up, out. So we went outside and gave the oatmeal to the dog and I heard the fire alarm going off. So I ran up to, I thought, why is that stupid thing going off? And I ran up the stairs and smoke was, black smoke was billowing out of my laundry room down to about six inches above the floor. So I know there was, I knew that, I knew that there was no going in there and putting out a fire. So I ran to get the three-year-old and um, her bedroom had been a, ki- a little tiny kitchen when, when the house was three apartments. So um, it, her bed was kind of pushed in under, a, under an overhanging cabinet. And I was very scared. I was scared of that you know, we would get caught in a fire and scared that my two-year-old would come back in and I couldn't find him. So I grabbed her out of bed really hard. And she was like, Mommy, why did you? And I hit her head. Why did you hit my head? And I said, make the houses on fire. She said, no, it's not. <laughs> and the next thing she said, as I went stupidly down the back stairs by the smoke, was, what's all that smoke? So I went outside and John was still watching the dog eat the oatmeal and uh, I, I took I took one um, I think I picked them up under one under each arm and baby still on my back and went walking across the street to pull the fire alarm and um, they um, they came sliding down by the end I was kind of dragging them by their collars to get them away and across the street I pulled the fire alarm and then I went into the apartment building there and called the fire department from the lobby the news people got there before the fire department. But apparently I didn't see it. Uh, I was at somebody's house when it was on TV and somebody said, Susan, come here, you're on TV. But it was one of those, you know, 15 second clips. But they had a, a clip of me walking with the two, the baby on my back and the, the two kids, um, you know, falling out from under my arms, walking mm-hmm. across the street. Um, so I don't know whether that clip of film still exists, but I never saw it. Oh but a lot gosh. of people just a lot of people described it to me. So after that, they wouldn't sell us replacement um, value insurance, only enough to cover the mortgage and the contents. So we had a very small amount of money, and we couldn't find a house that we could buy in Baltimore that. We, we could stand that fit us all after that that big I mean it was run down but it was a beautiful Victorian my husband says I'm escaping I'm getting off the subject of birth anyway we, <laughs> we were worried about how we could afford us to send our kids to high school and the oldest ones were approaching it so we decided to move up to the country uh, we wanted to move outside of a city and we went back to New York where we came from 
and uh, near a small, my husband picked Ithaca as a small city where he could work in restaurants. And uh, he asked a real estate agent to find a house for under $30,000 that um, 10 people could live in. <laughs> and he had to do it in one weekend. So she managed to find us a house. It was much inferior to the house we'd had in Baltimore, but we were able to fit into it. Not easily, but we did. So we moved up here. And um, I guess from the shock, it turned out, I think I had a, mi a miscarriage. I was two weeks overdue, which never happened to me. And then I bled a lot right the day we got to the new house. So I think I had a, an early miscarriage. That was before you could go to the drugstore and get a pregnancy test. You had to go to a doctor and have it done in a lab. So I hadn't found out that I was pregnant. So I can't prove I had a miscarriage, but I think I did. And then I didn't have another baby for three and a half years. I thought I'd actually gotten natural family planning, finally, finally got it to work for me. But I think maybe, maybe I was just less fertile uh, in my late 30s than I had been. <laughs> But anyway, so I, um, at 39, I got pregnant with my last one. Here I was, I didn't have Dr. Muncy. I didn't live five minutes from a hospital the way I had in, in, in Baltimore. I lived about 45 minutes from any, any hospital in any direction. So um, somebody referred me to a nurse midwife and I went to see her and I, I told her I'd like to have a home birth even though I'd had C-sections and she talked to her doctor and the doctor said, well, we normally don't do that, but I think her uterus has proved itself. So he, he approved it. By then they were doing way more tests than they ever did early on in my childbearing career. So all these tests went, went wrong, even though there was really nothing wrong. Now they had gotten to where I'm RH negative and I always got a Rogam shot afterwards. I forgot to tell you, what Dr. Muncy did for me, he would, when he came to my house, we would have saved cord blood. He'd given me something to save the cord blood in and he would drive to the lab and wait for them to cross match it and give him the Rogam shot. And he'd drive back to my house and give me it. And he never charged me for that. He just oh, wow. took whatever insurance I had, he took for the, for the, you know, for, for the uh, prenatal care. And one time I didn't have insurance. He just courtesied the whole thing. So anyway, this, this time they, they were going to give, I guess, give the Rogam at 28 weeks during the pregnancy. They had changed that. And um, they do a titer first. And they, um, they said it showed I'd been sensitized. Well, big, horrible things. Oh, you'll have to be induced. Oh, your baby might need a transfusion, all this stuff. And uh, so they sent me again for titers. And they the hospital didn't report and finally the midwife called the hospital and they said well we really didn't want to tell you this but the first mis um was a mistake the uh the sample had been away from, you know away from the lab too long and it wasn't accurate um and the titers were were i didn't i hadn't made any antibodies against the rh factor it was all a false alarm and they just weren't going to say anything well I guess um, the people who would normally deliver the results had put it for um, a superior who, who would explain what the problem was. Mm -hmm. And that person hadn't gotten around to it, <laughs> but it had gotten lost on her desk or something. But 
and also um, I again had um, somewhat high blood had high blood sugars and was gaining weight a lot. So she gave me a, a diabetic diet to follow and I followed it and um, it turned out I lost weight. <laughs> she said, oh no, we don't want you losing weight. So she, she said, eat more. Anyway, I, I one morning I had, I started having contractions and I called her and she and her assistant showed up in my house and my labor stopped. It was like, I can't deal with having these basically strangers in my house. So she sort of, she luckily, she said sometimes when women go to the hospital, their labor stops. So she and her assistant went away actually for an hour and a half and my labor started again. And she came back and I was walking around doing stuff in the house and I could tell that she didn't think I was really in labor or that I was in very, very early labor and she was going to be there forever. But she, she had been a home birth midwife before she became a nurse mid, midwife. So she, she wasn't going to do a vaginal exam unless there was a reason to. It, I, like, I felt like I guilty because she thought I wasn't in labor <laughs> or that I or, or that she thought I'd called her too early. So I went up to the stairs to the bathroom one time and I, I when I wiped myself, I felt something meaty feeling. I had never felt the bag of waters before. I didn't know what it was. So I went downstairs and I said, Pat, would you examine me? I felt something really funny. So she examined me and she said, it's the bag, bulging bag of waters. You're seven centimeters dilated. So literally from seven centimeters to full dilated, fully dilated, I sat in a rocking chair, rocking, you know, rocking back and forth. And talk, we talked about, um, about where to get natural peanut butter around there. And suddenly I jumped, I, I had a harder contraction and I jumped up and she got all alert. And it, you know, that was when the, the, the baby came down the birth canal and it was time to give birth. <laughs> so basically only contractions that hurt during that labor were two when I lay down on the bed and they, then they hurt some. But as long as I stayed up and walking, they didn't hurt. So I remember when it was time to give birth, I remembered what that burning, stretching sensation felt like. And I said, said I remember what this feels like. And like, I don't want to do it. And she was, I, I was really thinking, it's crazy, but I was thinking maybe I could just stay pregnant. <laughs> you know, and I didn't have that urgency to get the baby out the way you usually do when you've been in labor and you want it just to be over. <laughs> But she said, so when I said, uh, I don't want to do this, she said, well, do you think we can get somebody to do it for you? Which must have been a standard line she used. And I laughed. <laughs> and then I, when I laughed, the baby started being born. And I started to sit on the edge of the bed where I used to. But I think we had changed mattresses. And this one, there was too far between the mattress and the, the thing at the wood at the edge of the bed. And so it wasn't comfortable. So I stood up and I had read about supported squat positions. So I got my husband to put his arms under my arms and hung down on his arms. And this wouldn't have worked if it had been just the two of us, but um, that, that was really a very comfortable position to give birth in. Um, so that's how, that's how Kristen was born with me sort of hanging, ha hanging on my husband's arms with my knees part bent. 
the midwife says she got a face full of amniotic fluid, but <laughs> I guess that's that's part of the job sometimes. Um, so she was, she was the last one. She was uh, midwife's wife had a, a hanging scale and she was 10 pounds, four ounces. So, so your, your smallest was eight and a half. And then your largest, did you say just shy of, was it 12? Just shy of 13, measured standing on the scale and off the scale, just, just a hair under the 13 mark. And then, then some meconium came and, and it was a couple ounces under 13 pounds. So I don't know whether you count the meconium or not, but he was really huge. He really looked the size of a three month old baby, but, but he looked, he had a newborn appearance. I couldn't fit any newborn size clothes on him. New, the zero to three months clothes didn't fit him, not even for when he was born. Well, I have I have one question that I like to ask all of the guests that I have on the podcast, and that is for any women that have had a C-section and are trying to decide what they want to do, whether it's birthing in a hospital, having another C-section, or having a home birth, is there anything that you learned along the way in your journey or any advice that you would give to them? Well, aside to first-time mothers to start with a home birth, <laughs> so they won't have a C-section, so they're much less likely to have a C-section. It's to trust that their bodies can probably can, can birth. I mean, you can't say every woman can birth, but most women can give birth. And um, back then it was standard when a woman um, had a vaginal delivery after C-section for the doctor to put his hand up inside and feel the scar. And um, Dr. Muncy did that and my scar was perfect. There was, there was no, no separation at all. And that helped me not feel scared in the next births. I don't think it's standard to do that anymore, but you know, all those anxieties you have during pregnancy, if I would feel like a little, you know, stretch, stretching pinch at, at, in, in that part, I would think, oh, is the scar breaking? But I would always be able to think Dr. Muncy felt it and it was okay. So I would encourage everybody to, to, to try to have a vaginal birth after a C-section and that they believe that they probably can. And I would say you have a much greater chance to do it at home. I remember when I went to, um, I went to another conference for um it was for learning to be some kind of childbirth instructor and there was a woman there who had a c-section and her baby her baby was five and a half pounds and they told her that she didn't have room to deliver that baby but she decided to stay home and have the next baby and she gave birth squatting and she delivered an eight and a half pound baby <laughs> three whole pounds more than yes. they told her she couldn't do Right. So you just cannot always believe somebody who tells you you can't do something. I mean, I had a neonatologist tell me I shouldn't have any more babies and I had six more. So yeah. I don't know how to advise people because there, are, there will be some time when the doctor is, is right about something. So I say people have to educate themselves, you know, go to see another doctor, look it up and up online i at one point i had about six obstetrics books and two midwifery books and every popular book on childbirth that had been published at that time 
I tried to learn as much as I could. That education is key and arming yourself with the knowledge and just learning about your own body and the way that birth even works. Because I feel like that's not something that young women are commonly told or that's talked about now, which is a shame. I think women now and their mothers gave birth in the hospital and their friends give birth in the hospital. So they never see a birth. So it's pretty strange to them. Yeah. I mean, one little sequel to this is that my oldest daughter, my first feedback, she um, went, got pregnant when she was 15 and gave birth when she was 16. She didn't want to have a baby at home because um, she obviously felt that um, she wouldn't have any privacy in our little house with all her brothers and sisters around. But she went to the hospital. She she went to the hospital and refused any medication. She had a standard, a very standard um, textbook first labor, twenty four hours from the first contractions to to the birth and slowly building up. But she even right before the birth, she was never scared. There was no. She never screamed. She never got agitated. She had, because she'd been at so many births Mm -hmm. and she knew that I gave birth without making a lot of noise and without being scared and she'd seen it happen. So there was another uh, 16 year old girl in the room next door who was screaming her head off and just obviously panicky. And I think the difference was she'd been around birth. She she believed that baby would come out of her. And she wasn't scared. Yeah, that makes a big difference. I caught her for her fourth baby at home. Oh, um, really? Uh, yeah. She thought her husband was going to catch, and she brought her husband's, um, I think, stepfather, who who was an EMT. But um, they both seemed really uh, like wide-eyed and and <laughs> like totally not wanting to do anything when, when the baby was crowning. I was there at the foot of the bed with one arm around my youngest child and one arm around around my uh, oldest grandchild. So they were 10 and eight and I had my arms around them. I was supposed to be their support person. And um, the head came out and it didn't turn and it didn't turn and it didn't turn. <laughs> and I put my hand under the shoulder and just rotated and the baby came out corkscrewing so um all reading all those obstetrics books helped helped me help my grandchild wow what a cool story but to be able to be there like that for the birth of your grandchild there's not a lot of people that can say that they've been able to do that that's very cool oh yeah i was there for her for when her first was born in the hospital um and um, it was my 41st birthday. So my first grandchild and I share a birthday. That's very special too. Something happened with her, her baby was small, 6'1", six, six, and um, blood sugar was down. They insisted on giving it some formula. Then I said, well, now can I take the baby back to my daughter? Oh, no, now she has to get, have a bath and that'll get her, pull, make her blood sugar go down again. And I said, well, you don't have to give her a bath. She's not dirty. Vernix isn't dirty. So they called the doctor in the middle of the night. And he said, no, you don't have to give the baby a bath. Oh, but before that, when the baby's blood sugar was low and they said she had to decide between uh, sugar water or formula, I said, well, I'm still nursing. I could nurse her. 
and they they were like you're crazy <laughs> they thought it was the craziest idea and went so I went back and told my daughter um you have to decide between formula and sugar water and we decided together that formula would be better because we know sugar water makes your blood sugar go up and then it crashes so um but as I was walking back to the nursery I heard the nurses saying saying that crazy grandmother wants thinks she can nurse her grandchild <laughs> Hey, I don't think that that's crazy at all. Wow. So when my daughter got when my daughter got home, she came home 15 hours after the birth. And um she was trying to she was tired and she was trying to nurse the baby and the baby was fussing and she was getting upset and she said she said this baby doesn't want me. <laughs> and I said you're you're upset and tense and the baby's feeling it why don't you go lie down and sleep and I'll, I'll nurse the baby and get her calmed down and I'll tuck her in next to you. And I did that. And, you know, I sort of knowing how to nurse a baby, I was able to help that baby nurse and she nursed well. And I tucked her in next to my daughter and there was never a problem nursing again. So. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Well, thank you so much just for, being willing to share all of your stories and just tell us about your whole childbearing journey. That was really incredible to listen to. I wish I could be young again and do, and start over. <laughs> it's I've, I've had women tell me it's fun to be able to tell all of the stories in order like that. Oh, oh yes. But I know I, I, I would, that we were pretty poor at the time I had the last one. And right after that, I went to nursing school. So I was very involved. And then I went and got my bachelor's in nursing. So I was very involved in school. And by the time I thought, gee, I'd like to have another baby, it was too late. But now I wish I, now I, wish I could just kept going. <laughs> <laughs> However, then, awesome. wasn't the, then wasn't the time. And our time to do that isn't, isn't unending. It isn't infinite. Yeah. It, I can't say that there weren't some tough spots along the way, but <laughs> so thanks for thanks for listening. I love to tell I do love to tell these stories and sometimes I start start telling one someone and I get up to about four and I see their eyes glaze over and I know that I have to I have to stop because they don't want to hear nine birth stories. So I'm so glad you did. Yes, I loved hearing all nine. And I know the listeners will love to hear all nine as well. So thank you again. I just really oh. appreciate you taking the time. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you're interested in sharing your home birth after cesarean story, send us an email at hbacpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.